right, good evening, everyone. Please turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16 tonight. We're going to get some context of what tonight's lesson is in Exodus chapter 16. Uh, we're going to read, well, I'll read and you can follow along in your Bibles the first 23 verses of Exodus chapter 16. But tonight we're going to look at uh, Moses and the manna. Moses and the manna. This is uh, two chapters after the what we looked at last week with Moses and the children of Israel crossing the Red Sea. Uh, we're skipping chapter 15, talking about the um, where they had the bitter water at Mara, and going right to the point where they're looking for food um, for just in the wilderness, then they need something to eat. So we're going to be looking at the lessons from that chapter tonight, chapter 16 of Exodus. And the goal of this is, or the subpoint is, learning the power of contentment. Learning the power of contentment. And um, I was thinking about this this afternoon. It's easy to look at the children of Israel or... I was thinking like the disciples, we see them in the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament. It's easy to be like, oh, those complaining Israelites, oh, those lack of faith disciples. And it's like, you know what? I'm just like them. And uh, as we've seen probably in all these lessons, they're, they're convicting lessons. And yet again, another convicting lesson tonight on learning the power of contentment, learning the power of contentment. So with that said, I will read uh, the passage here in Exodus 16, 1 through 23, and you can follow along in your Bibles so we can get some context for what we're looking at in tonight's lesson. Exodus chapter 16, verse 1, it says, And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And as a complete side note, um, you know, there's videos we've seen, the patterns of evidence. Uh, we looked at Joseph and uh, Moses' writing and the Red Sea. They're actually creating a new, uh, they created a new video um, specifically talking about Mount Sinai, and it's coming out this week in theaters. So eventually, I think that'll be on uh, DVD, but... Just a random side note when I saw Sinai in that verse. Verse number two. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full, who had brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. And Moses and Aaron said unto all the children of Israel, At even, then ye shall know that the Lord hath brought you out from the land of Egypt. And in the morning, then you shall see the glory of the Lord, for that he heareth your murmurings against the Lord. And what are we that ye murmur against us? And Moses said, This shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to the, to the full, for that the Lord heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against him. 
And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. And Moses spake unto Aaron, Say unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he hath heard your murmurings. And it came to pass, as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and beheld the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. Speak unto them, saying, At even ye shall eat flesh, and in the morning ye shall be filled with bread, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. And it came to pass that at even the quills came up and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay round about the host. And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small round thing, as small as the hoarfrost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna, for they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. Gather of it every man according to his eating, and omer for every man according to the number of your persons. Take ye every man for them which are in his tents. And the children of Israel did so, and gathered some more, some less. And when they did meet it with an omer, he that gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating, and Moses said, Let no man leave of it till the morning. Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moses, but some of them left, it of, left of it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was wroth with them. And they gathered it every morning, every man according to his eating, and when the sun waxed hot, it melted. And it came to pass that on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for one man, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. And he said unto them, This is that which the Lord hath said, Tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which ye will bake today, and seethe that ye will seethe, and that which remaineth over lay up for you to be kept until the morning. So that's the passage behind tonight's lesson. Get some context of what we're going to be looking at here over the next couple of minutes. Um, the introduction of this lesson goes like this. Leaders are often called upon to be problem solvers. This statement is true of Moses as he faced the recurring problem of discontentment and complaining among God's people in the wilderness. And as the previous chapter, which we didn't look at, already talked about, they looked at water, they were looking for water, they were complaining about water. Now this chapter they're complaining about not having enough food. As we begin today's lesson, we, may we be reminded that God hates and often punishes murmuring and complaining. Although our God is merciful and long-suffering, He is also just. He will not strive forever. The punishment will come. All right, so point number one. All the main points begin with M. So this one begins with M. Four letters, five, uh, six letters, sorry. V. Murmur, that's correct. The murmur. And... My handwriting is not very good, so I apologize for that ahead of time. Point number one, the murmur. God cares deeply for his children. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 10, 29-30 that God cares for us to such an extent that he knows the number of hairs of our heads. Yet we tend to doubt God's care when we do not receive provision at the exact time or in the exact way that we expect. We fail to see events as God sees them, and fail to appreciate that his ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. To put it very directly, sometimes we believe we know better than God. 
And uh, this quote here in this, ver uh, in this um, lesson, it's, uh, it's a good one. Complaining is like bad breath. You notice it when it comes out of somebody else's mouth, but not your own. Yeah, that, that's, that's a good one. Matthew, and here's the verses that we reference, Matthew 10, 29-31, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are more value than many sparrows. And then Isaiah 55, 8-9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And as we'll see through this lesson and then through the conclusion, God has promised to take care of us. And, well, we are, I'm a forgetful person. We are forgetful people. We have to be constantly reminded. But it's, it's a human thing, and the Lord wants us to, to trust him and just let it go and put it in his hands. This lesson deal details a familiar pattern in Israel's history. A need was realized, discontentment was displayed, God was ever faithful. And yes, that pattern goes over and over again uh, through the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. So subpoint A, the people were angry. The people were angry. In verses 2 and 3 of our text, we see that Israel was guilty of two specific sins that are often present in our lives as well. So, subpoint one under A, the people complained. People complained. Interestingly, the Bible states that the complaining spread to the entire congregation. And as we, uh, some people estimate, it's about two million people. That's a lot of people complaining. God's word says, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And that's found in Galatians 5.9. Here we see the leaven, the sin of complaining, spreading like stage four cancer to dominate the whole body, the whole congregation of Israel. The people didn't only complain, the people for, forgot. The people forgot. Um, it, is a, it is true that humans are prone to soon forget. Uh, amazingly, we see that the Israelites had totally forgotten about God's goodness and mercy. Their thoughts were not on the Passover, the spoiling of the Egyptians, or, the, or most recently the crossing of the Red Sea, or the water at Marah. Instead, they were focused only on how they felt at the moment. It is apparent that the Israelites were mostly concerned with their own personal comfort or the lack thereof. Their selfishness was motivated by their self-focus instead of God-focus. And again, at this point, it's like, yep, uh, for me, it's not what just happened. It's like right now, living in the moment, not thinking about what God has done for me in the past and how he promises to continue to provide. Discontentment is sometimes hard to pinpoint in our own lives. Here are some warning signs that you are not living a contented life. Do you feel jealous when someone else is promoted at work? Are you unhappy when someone else's child excels rather than yours? Or when some other kid punches your kid? Oh, no. <laughs> Do you resent others when they are recognized in church? Do you wish that you could change your upbringing? Do you spend time thinking about material things you cannot afford? 
are you envious of the talents of others? And I'm sure we could put many other examples of uh, questions in our mind that show discontentment. Here's a quote from Dr. Lee Roberson. Die to praise and die to criticism. Or Dr. Lester Roloff, a name that I recognize. You can't hurt a dead man. Interesting. And then uh, two verses, 1 Corinthians 15, 31, the Apostle Paul says, I die daily. And then Mark 8, 34 through 35, uh, Jesus speaking here. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. Um, we can complain, we can forget, but um, we have examples here, just uh, some things to think about. Um, the uh, illustration here talks about George Mueller, and um, of course George Mueller is a man from the, he lived in the mid-1800s in England. He uh, had several orphanages for uh, kids in the Bristol, England area, and uh, he was a great man of faith. I mean, I've, I've been listening to his um, biography, his autobiography, and it's just amazing the things that the Lord provided just his, his faith. Um, and when a man asked George Mueller the secret of his service, Mueller responded, there was a day when I died, utterly died, died to George Mueller, his opinions, preferences, tastes, and will, died to the world, its approval or censure, died to the approval or blame even of my brethren and friends, and since then I've studied to show myself approved only to God. There's a statement talking there about a man who learned to be content and to put his trust in the Lord. So not only were the people angry, they complained and they forgot, the people made... Accusations. The people made accusations. Moses plainly told the people, your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. We must realize that our complaints about circumstances are first and foremost against God. Additionally, we must be careful not to infect others with the poison of our negative words. God's word commands us to inspect ourselves, examine ourselves, and judge ourselves. That's found in 1 Corinthians 11. One of the surest ways to positively influence others and to keep ourselves in check in this area is to have a heart and mouth filled with rejoicing and thankfulness. God's word says to rejoice in the Lord always and to give thanks for everything. We can be sure that if we're being thankful and having a rejoicing spirit, we will not fall into the sin of complaining. Do you sometimes have trouble keeping a right spirit or attitude? Here are three actions you can take that are God's will for you in every situation, even situations you find unpleasant. As you commit to these actions, you will find that positive and reverent spirit toward God follows. And these are found in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18. Some of the shortest verses in the Bible, but some very profound and convicting verses. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, rejoice evermore. Verse 17, Pray without ceasing. And verse 18, And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. 
Rejoice, pray, and give thanks. Three ways that we can combat uh, complaining and be content in our lives. As the family was waiting for their dinner to finish cooking, the father said to the youngest son, Why don't you say the blessing for our meal? The young boy said, Of course, and prayed, Dear Lord, thank you so much for this food. I don't know what it is, but thank you for it anyway. I'll still eat it. Amen. I could imagine Joel praying something like that. We can all learn from the prayer of this child. As cute as he was with his prayer, he showed thankfulness without even knowing what he was getting. We should give thanks in everything, including the times when we cannot see God's blessings. We, like the boy, can have confidence that God will provide for us. So we looked at the murmur, how the people were angry, they complained, they forgot, and they made accusations. But point number two, we see the... The manna, the manna, the provision that God made for the people. God knew the needs of his people and abundantly supplied those needs. Although the Israelites often failed to appreciate the blessing, it must have been amazing to eat a food made directly by God. Today we enjoy many things made by God, but do we realize that even every breath we take is a gift from God? Are we taking time to thank him for his goodness? So under manna, they saw God's... Grace. They saw God's grace. Again, we see God's amazing grace. He had done marvelous works to get his people to this point on their way to the promised land. From the miraculous preservation of Moses as a baby, to the horrific plagues in Egypt, to the crossing of the Red Sea on dry ground. Unfortunately, after all this, his people seemed only to complain. Yet God continued to show them his mercy. We all like grace to be extended to us. Therefore, we need to be sure that we extend grace toward others. How wonderful it would be if others saw us as demonstrators and givers of God's grace. And it brings out this verse, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. The pastor just finished preaching through 2 Peter, 1 and 2 Peter. In the conclusion of these, of, this, of these two books, Peter writes, But grow in grace, and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. We are told to continue being gracious, continue growing in grace, and that's a lifelong pursuit. In this verse, God commands us to grow in grace. Many Christians would undoubtedly be more likely to grow if others treated them with grace. Ephesians 4, 31-32 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Those three verses I just read, um, short verses, but packed with a lot of truth. And uh, with, you could have a lifelong pursuit of just... Uh, pursuing grace and being kind and these things that these verses says, it will take you a lifetime. As a recipient of the wonderful grace of God, are you demonstrating grace and kindness to others? There's an illustration here in the book that I believe this author has used in the last uh, book we looked at, um, the one about David, but it's, a, it's still a good illustration that applies 
to tonight's lesson. Uh, during World War II, Corrie Ten Boom had been sent to a concentration camp for hiding Jews in her home. In spite of the suffering she endured at the concentration camp at Ravensbrück, she survived with a message to tell the world. She went on to write multiple books and to share the love of Christ all, over the, all around the world. In 1947, she was speaking at a church in Munich on forgiveness, exhorting everyone to accept the great forgiveness Christ offers to each soul. It was there that her own ability to forgive was tested. As she spoke, she saw a man who had been a guard at Ravensbrück. <coughs> Excuse me. Distinct memories flooded her mind as she gazed upon this man. He approached her after she spoke to introduce himself. As he did, she felt her blood begin to freeze. He explained that he had been a guard at Ravensbrook, but he had been saved since then. Corey had mentioned while she was speaking that she had been at Ravensbrook, so this guard wanted to ask Corey for her forgiveness. It was challenging for Corey to give this man forgiveness right then and there, but she knew that forgiveness is a choice, not a feeling. Right there, she forgave him with her whole heart. Corey stated, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. So we see the manna, they saw God's grace, but they also saw God's glory. They saw God's glory. Uh, as we read through these, verses six through, 6 through 10 talks about how Aaron told the people that they would see the glory of the Lord. The glory of God appeared to the children of Israel in many different ways. They were guided by the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Here at the commencement of God's great provision of manna, his glory appeared in a cloud. What God's man had prophesied came true. The children of Israel saw the glory of the Lord and experienced the goodness of the Lord. Throughout Israel's time in the wilderness, God repeatedly showed himself strong. In this portion of our story, we see him, see him feeding nearly 3 million people six days a week. He did this for 40 years. Just think about that. And of course, they started with 2 or 3 million, whatever. And I'm sure they had more uh, children along the way. That, a lot of people that God provided for every day. God demonstrates his glory to modern, modern believers, too. He is always at work always ready to show his power and offer his strength. And I was just thinking about this. The God who fed the children of Israel, got them out of Egypt, brought them into the promised land, he's the same God that we serve today. Uh, God is the same. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So not only did we see the murmur and the manna, but third, we see the... What was that, Joel? Oh, okay. The man. The mandates. The mandates. Only a Baptist preacher would come up with the these type of alliteration. <laughs> but hey, that's that's why you have a thesaurus, right? <laughs> with God's blessings come certain requirements. As a God of order, he provides mandates to help us enjoy his blessings to their fullest. To experience a joyful Christian life, we must acknowledge that as the sovereign creator, God establishes order and instructions through his word. We see this demonstrated in the first book of the Bible with the first people created by God. 
In Genesis 2, 16 and 17, God told Adam and Eve what to eat and what not to eat. Later, after the fall, God gave directions as to how and what he wanted as a sacrifice. The wise Christian, in an effort to please God in all things, will seek to learn God's ways and follow his order. I mean, think about uh, the next three books of the Bible after here in Exodus. It's, it's the law and talking about, um, of course, I mean, Numbers has some history and things like that, but uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of laws, a lot of things that God told the children of Israel to do. And, of course, us today, we, we have the whole Bible. There's a lot of things God tells us to do. There are mandates in the Scripture. First uh, Thessalonians 4, 1 says, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. Okay, in this verse, telling them you received how you're supposed to walk and things you're supposed to do to please God. Or 1 Corinthians 10, 31 whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. And then Hebrews 11:6. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. As Christians, we're no longer under the law, per se, but God does give us commands and things he wants us to do. So under the mandates, God gave... Short a word. Rules. God gave rules. To accompany, accompany the amazing gift of daily food, God clearly defined instructions that he wanted his people to follow. And we saw this as we were reading through verses 11 through 23. He says, gather enough for each, each person. Under God's provision, no family would run short of food because he cares about the individual. There is not a single person among all the tribes of Israel not provided for. God cares for each individual sparrow, and he certainly will not fail to care for each of the children for whom he sent his son to die. Think about this verse, um, Romans 8.32. He that spared is not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God is a great giver of good gifts and has been throughout all of history. So not only did God give a rule to gather enough for each person, he said gather enough for each, each day. day. The Father was to gather enough manna for each person each day. Here we see God providing them with their daily bread. And this reminds us of uh, the Lord Jesus, who century later ta taught his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And that's found in Matthew 6, 11. And then comforted them, take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Um, this is a very interesting illustration, very applicable for our country and the day and age that day and age that we live in. The principle from Matthew 6:34 goes against the act of hoarding. Recent studies show that up to 5% of the world's population are clinical hoarders. 
Hoarding is the act of excessively storing items, even if they serve no purpose. Hoarders often feel that they cannot part with anything because they never know if they might need it later. In Matthew 6.34, Jesus is commanding people not to be like that. We can trust in Christ today to take care of us tomorrow. And as I was thinking about that illustration, I was thinking about my grandma's house and the amount of work that my parents had to do just to get rid of stuff. And like, there was stuff brand new in bags and they just threw it away because my aunt didn't need it and she wouldn't have space for it. And, but uh, one thing my mom was like, yeah, uh, I'm going through my basement now because I don't want to do that to you guys. So, but hoarding, that's, and, and if I'm honest, I'm a hoarder too. And I, I could probably go through my junk drawer, junk drawer, and probably throw away half of the stuff because I'm never going to use it again. So, interesting thought there. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23, it says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. So not only did God give the rules to gather enough food for each person, gather enough food for each day, he also said gather enough for the Sabbath. And as, I don't know if we read that, I don't think we read that far, but there were some people who didn't gather for the Sabbath and Moses was very angry with them. Um, God stated that the manna was to be gathered on a daily basis, but God's directive was also plain in that the children of Israel were not to work on the Sabbath. God's laws do not contradict each other, and once again, God miraculously made a way. On Sunday through Friday, the manna would be fresh and edible for only that one 24-hour period. Um, after that period of time, it would become wormy and produce a stench. I always find it interesting. It talks about when the sun came up, it melted. It's like, what, were, what was this made up of? It's just an interesting thing. Um, on Fridays, God would have them gather twice the normal amount of manna, and God would preserve it for twice as long as usual. Sadly, it seems as though there were Israelites who insisted on doing things their own way, but God reminded them that following their own reasoning instead of trusting in him always leads to difficulty. Um, verses 25 through 27 of Exodus 16 says, And Moses said, Eat that today, for today is a Sabbath unto the Lord. Today ye shall, find not, shall not find it in the field. Six days ye shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, in it there shall be none. And it came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day for to gather, and they found none. Although the writing of Proverbs was far in the future, the truths presented there are eternal. God's way is the only way and the best way for us. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. And I know I've memorized these verses, well, probably back in elementary with Mr. Kunze, and like these are easy verses for me to spat off, but like, you know, if you really think about them, it's like, yeah, uh, convicting verses, and if you really think about them and apply them. 
Our first response to God's instructions should be humble obedience. Unlike the children of Israel, our gratitude and love for God should compel us to follow the order he has established. So not only did God give rules, but God also gave rewards. God gave rewards. Exodus 16:31 to 35 says, and the house of Israel called the name thereof manna, and it was like coriander seed white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. And the children of Israel did eat manna forty years until they came to a land inhabited. They did eat manna until they came unto the borders of the land of Canaan. Manna offered several blessings beyond its nutritional value. It was good in... Preparation. Good in preparation. It's interesting. It says God created something that could be both baked and boiled. And um, when thinking about this, I'm like, okay, over 40 years, 365 days, well, whatever they measured days as. But for us, okay, 40 years, 365 days, three meals a day. I mean, uh, I would probably complain about different ways. And I mean, I do like having eggs every morning, but sometimes that gets tiring. I mean, think about having manna for every meal, but God made it. It was a miraculous food that could be baked, boiled, whatever. Um, I saw this video the other day. Someone figured out how to make an egg 59 different ways. So... I mean, some very creative ways, like putting the egg in a waffle iron or whatever. But, I mean, think about what the moms had to do, try to get their kids to eat the manna every day. So, interesting thought there. But it wasn't only good in preparation. It was good to the taste. It was good to the taste. God's Word says that it tasted like wafers made with honey. God, who created taste buds, wanted his children to have something that would be filling and pleasurable. The Bible says the taste of the manna was like coriander seed, which some have described as spicy sweet and slightly lemony. Ground coriander is a common spice used today in Indian cuisine. and I have used that. I think we have some in our spice cabinet. And yeah, it is a spicy sweet, slightly lemony type of taste. And uh, you plant a coriander seed... Uh, it grows to be cilantro, and of course some people might think cilantro tastes like soap, but whatever. It's a good spice. It's a good taste. Um, in Numbers 11, 7 through 8, Moses describes how manna could also be ground into a flour and then baked in pans, having the taste of fresh oil. So it, had, it was good to the taste. And then last of all, the manna that God gave, it was good till the end of the journey. They had it for 40, day, 40 years. And if I remember correctly, there's a verse there that talks about them being like the day they went into the promised land, like the manna ceased. God provided manna for the entire wilderness journey until the Israelites crossed over into the land of milk and honey. Oh, verse 35 talks about that. 
God would eventually bring them into a land of unbelievable riches, but he miraculously sustained them until that time. Living according to God's way always results in God's blessing. This truth is repeated throughout the scripture. Peter, although at first reluctant, obeyed the heavenly vision in Acts 10 and was used by God to take the gospel of Christ to the Gentiles. Of course, that example about the dream or the vision that he had of the four corners of the sheet coming down and all the unclean uh, animals and how he resisted that, but the Lord was using that to like, okay, no, I want you to take the gospel to the Gentiles and thank the Lord that he did because we are here as a result of that. And then Paul and Silas were faithful in their ministry and ended up jailed in Philippi. This is Acts 16. But because they sang and praised the Lord even while suffering, their testimony was empowered by God to bring about the salvation of the jailer and his entire household. I mean, think about that. They could have been bitter and sad that they were in jail and just like been quiet and whatever, but no, they sang and praised the Lord and through their testimony, uh, the Philippian jailer was saved in uh, his household. And I'm sure even more people as a result of that. Countless servants of God could also testify to his miraculous work on their behalf as they followed him in obedience. If you have ever stepped out in faith and obedience to God, no doubt you have your own stories of marvelous things God has done for you and through you. Take time today to remember his faithfulness and to renew your commitment to follow his commands. And in conclusion, although the Israelites did not deserve it, the Lord took care of them, helped them, and provided for them daily. In his daily provision of manna, he showed them that his mercies are new every morning. We as believers today should be challenged to learn from the Israelites. We need to be thankful for all that we have, for we serve a faithful and all-sufficient God. So, just as I was saying at the beginning, yes, it's easy to blast the Israelites for their uh, discontentment, their complaining, but if we really think about it and uh, uh, examine ourselves, it's like it's really easy to be discontent in our lives, but the Lord has provided many great things for us, and He wants us to be thankful and uh, to be content with what He has given to us. All right, let's conclude with a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for the lesson tonight from the uh, life of Moses and the children of Israel and um, the examples there and just how closer to home uh, it can be. Um, just thinking about these people, yeah, it's easy to um, be like, oh, they should be content, but if really look in my own heart, uh, I can be more like them than I uh, want to admit. So just pray you'd help us uh, this week just to think about the things you provided for us and to be content with what you have given to us. And I thank you for our time together tonight. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>